Hey everyone, it's your death sentence this week. Uh, we've got a fellow named Alex Phoebe on the show. Now, you may know him if you've been paying attention to proper literary fiction, as you should have been, uh, for writing books like Lucia, which is a kind of fictionalized biography, a fictionalized life of uh, Lucia Joyce, as in James Joyce's daughter. Um, and he has come out with a new one. It's on um, Galley Beggar Press, which is you know big, big name in proper, proper literary fiction. It, they put out Duck's Newbury Reports, the, the book we're always threatening to talk about on this show. We will one day get around to it. We'll one day get around to finishing it, maybe. <laughs> it's, um, it's a big old book. It's really great. But yeah, um, it, one of those books that's great even to not finish. You just pick it up, you read it for a bit, and you go, wow, you're a way better writer than I'll ever be. And then you close it again. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. You can do that with many great books, uh-huh. including probably this one, because it, it's uh, kind of an unprecedented thing. Galley Beggar Press has come out with a a fantasy story. A, 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 fant- a fantasy story that shades into almost young adult at, at times not i'm i'm gonna we're gonna go into genre bit in a minute because it's not a young adult book because you know dogs eat people's faces and stuff <laughs> I was say, that's that's a wild description of the <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. but, i'm it, i'm excited to hear your explanation why should a 13 year old read this book about like whatever like <laughs> multiple genocides occur yeah, and, uh, he does them. So well, I wasn't <laughs> wishing to give the game away, but yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I, I was a very angry pretty, teenager. Pretty hip. Yeah. <laughs> He's down but, with the zeitgeist. Yeah. So yeah, Mordu. It, it's, um, yeah, it's one of the may, might be my favorite book this year. Okay, well that's good. What are we yeah. in now, May? <laughs> it's uh, it's five months in. I mean, that's yeah, pretty. I mean, five and a five and three quarter, uh, two thirds almost. It's is it very, stuff to yeah. do? Yeah. Okay. Good. I'm glad yeah, you liked it. Yeah, yeah it's solid ass contender for me too. It's just like what I love is that like so it's clearly written by someone who who knows how to fucking write. Like you're you're yeah. not you're not some like yeah, I'm not making some, <laughs> I'm not messing around. Uh, <laughs> I've worked out how to do it. I, now, I, I mentioned that because, and we've, we've mentioned this in previous episodes, but, like, I, I love, like, fantasy. And that means that I've read some fucking dumb books. Some <laughs> fucking stupid books. And that's yeah. fine. Because I'm going in there, and I'm like, is there, like, I've read every Elminster book. Those aren't good. Those are not good. <laughs> but I've read them. Oh, yeah. He goes to hell and he blows up demons. Um, yeah, he's well, even the good ones, some of them aren't that great. I started um, the Thomas Covenant books when I was a kid, yeah. um, and the latest ones of those. Uh, <laughs> I'm not saying, hey, well, it, they've I read them, so you know, obviously, I thought they were <laughs> readable. Um, and I, I brought up long... before as well that like I love the Indiana Jones novels; those are yeah. just atrocious, but hmm. fucking lit. He was a witch until she dies. <laughs> well, you know, you just want your fantasy pleasures, don't you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and we get like crazy amounts of fantasy pre- pre- Oh yeah. Fantasy pleasures from Mordu. And then yeah. we also get awesome literary pleasures. Like it's incredibly well written. And it has a dramatis personae and it has a, a little 
a, a section um appendix in the back where you like learn the book's backstory that you don't get in the book and it's ama yeah. amazing it's also breaking you for the next book too so um <laughs> <laughs> that's Maybe you can segue into the next book um, and it'll give you some background so I won't have to do it all at the beginning like people usually do. Yeah. We were sitting around trying to figure out like just before the episode, just me and Gareth talking about like, you know, where we were in the book and we were riffing a little bit. And at one point we both settled on vibes of Gormenghast, but the more that I think about it, the more that I'm not sure. I think that only comes from the fact that it's a fantasy novel that's also written well. And so it's <laughs> like you, you go to your very short list of, of times yeah. when that's the case. And there are some kind of dark, masculine, caricatural type characters in it, I guess that's similar to, so you, you know, there's, is it Steer Pike in Gormenghast? Is that my imagination? Mm -hmm. Steer something Pike? Uh similar kind of naming convention too oh, yeah. but um and also in, in, Gormenghast, there's like a, in Gormenghast there's like a, a village of like mud uh, people who make stuff out of mud and mud comes up a lot in in Mordu as that's well that's a good point yeah, yeah it, it's okay. like one of very few plot similarities right the, the amount of stuff i mean other other stuff like I don't want to sound like a wine critic going like the nose of vanilla and blackberries here, but there was like um, China Mieville, I think yeah. was feeling that, like his um, Bas Lag yeah. books. Yeah, he, I like those uh, too. Um, there's stuff like, uh, God, uh, Dark, the Dark Souls video games. <laughs> <laughs> the difficult ones. The, the very difficult ones. The ones that, yeah. like your book, reveal themselves reveal the backstory by not through the text itself by, by all the like ephemera um, yeah but i don't like, force you to reread chapters endlessly unlike oh, yeah. Dark Souls. Good yeah that that would be a, a book that functioned like dark souls i which... wonder if i can do that that would be good i wonder if that'd be good. <laughs> have the same like the same chapter like repeated like completely yeah. verbatim like seven yeah. times but it keeps terminating because uh you have died yeah. <laughs> and then in the middle of the chapter, there's a you know there's a, a code in the first letters of every paragraph or something along those lines. The chapter cuts off literally like mid mid word and just says yeah. in all caps, "You died," and then restarts <laughs> well, the chapter from the beginning we'll with no changes. Do that for next time. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, but no, there's... it's a good book. So I'm glad you liked it. Uh, it's taken me a long time to write, so I've been. I but looked that at. That is uh, very apparent. <laughs> yeah, I looked at the early drafts. I thought I started writing it not that long ago, but turns out it was more like 2010, 2011, something oh. like that. So, so okay, I've been that, that makes me feel good about my own long brewing uh, fantasy thing that I'm not. Because if you were about to say some shit like I wrote this entire book in seven months, I was gonna <laughs> fucking kill you. No, that was <laughs> the last <laughs> Lucia, yeah, like, you son of a bitch! Like... <laughs> no, well, you know, Lucia was much quicker. I was on sabbatical from work, so um, I had basically about six months to write it, and I'd had the ideas, and then the writing got done. But this one's kind of like a lot of books that you really like, but perhaps no one else is interested in. Um, there's plenty of time to work on them <laughs> because no one's <laughs> publishing them, <laughs> so they kind of get. Uh, I think they get good in that period, like uh, a casserole or some kind of reduced stock of some kind. Uh, the longer I mean, you leave it. That, that that sense of richness, I think, is the thing that most appealed to me about this, where it felt like 
So there's uh, obviously for for you know all the writers out there that are listening, there's there's a couple different kinds of of editing. Like as much as I kind of don't really like a lot of Kurt Vonnegut's advice for writing yeah. for, for various reasons. He does have a point about um, the two different types of writers, the planners and bashers, and one of the benefits that I like of people who like make a big outline and then they stick to it, and then people who sit and they just sort of work at the keyboard every day and it's sort of aimless and you just sort of go through but then yeah it when well, you can do you, both you, i think you can start yeah. with a plan and then you let that thing kind of dictate itself so i mean then, with this book, was, certainly was that, what you, uh, was that what you did yeah well i mean i don't know <laughs> it's the honest answer to that i don't really remember i've had a well, lot of and, and, that, that <laughs> and it was a long time I, ago <laughs> the, the the secondary bit after like getting everything down is like the editorial part, and some oh, yeah. people come in and all they do is carve down. Like you write four hundred thousand words to get eighty thousand that are yeah. perfect, and this reads like the opposite. Like you went in and you found like a little gap, and you were like, "I have a good idea that will fit in this gap." And it's yeah, not definitely. that the gap called out to be filled; it's that you went, "This is a good idea, and it can yeah, go see here, where it so goes. it will." Yeah, and then well, you know, just, so that's certainly true of the main body of the text, but it's definitely true of the um, glossary and the the appendices at the end, because so those were like it's just like after the event. bursting with ideas. And the only way that I could imagine that someone would do that is going in and going like, "Oh, I can fit. I'm thinking of this thing that could fit right in this gap." And if you were reading the version that's in front of me right now, you wouldn't see a gap. But because I know yeah. that I can put something in there. It now is a gap, and I'm going to yeah, fill it definitely. with. Yeah, I mean, some, oh, I some people take a kind of minimalist approach to stuff. I, this was a big maximalist book. I thought, you know, chuck everything at it. Because, like you say, the, there are pleasures in fantasy, and, uh, you know, you can't have too many of them, it seems to me. People don't go to a fantasy book and say, I want to really spare, <laughs> tone down, very minimal fantasy <laughs> epic. Thank you very much. It's, it's almost, well, it is the opposite. I want as much of this place as I can get because, you know, I'm a sad, lonely individual who doesn't want to live in the real world. So it's exactly creating some kind of massive online, not online, massive uh, imaginary uh, existence uh, for these characters that means you can, you know, kind of cram all sorts of cool stuff in there. Um, I and the, I think that's specific... be cool. I love the specific kind of Britishness that sort of wicks <laughs> off of this. Of not not like the so I live in America, so our idea of Britishness is basically just Doctor Who and being a Tory, <laughs> which <Yeah>. is <laughs> unfortunately, from what I've been following in the news, yeah, it's getting actually closer. kind of true, but like <laughs> it sucks. Um, but yeah. this has that more sense of like a morbid bog world <laughs> like <Yeah. just laughs> shitty and haunted by horrible dirt people yeah. <laughs> that's, just, that's the working class experience while mm. you know the queen is busy raising her little finger and drinking tea and stroking a corgi or whatever everybody else is going <laughs> to grab around in the filth like in that scene in um <laughs> The Holy Grail, you know, mm. mud farming. Yeah, that's, and, uh, I, I, I kept thinking about that while I was reading about people toiling <laughs> in the living mud, and I was yeah, like, it's because it's it's very serious in the book. Like like you treat it with with a lot of like deftness, and there's that very yeah. um, especially from from an American perspective, there's something about specifically both German and then um, British slash. Gaelic authors, so Scottish and Irish folded yeah. in there too. Although obviously there are some gaps there of some this uh like menacing fairy tale ish 
uh, atmosphere that just sort of comes mm -hmm. from the national myth that's been around for hundreds yeah, and sure. hundreds of years. Um, and so as much as your text like has that and, and, and sort of lives in that and has this like permutating, like uh, I, 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 Gareth and I were talking before, like I feel more like Bloodborne vibes than Dark Souls <laughs> yeah. because it's <laughs> wetter. Like, you know. oh yeah, yeah there's a lot of texture in this. It's very like gooey in a lot of places. It's not just much. Yeah. Well, I think it, for Mordew it is. So mm -hmm. it's this is very much a trilogy. So the, most of that gritty, uh, well, muddy, sloppy, unhappy, dark, <laughs> kind of oppressed material gets kind of stuffed in here. Malakoy, on the other hand, uh, everybody's having a great time. Uh, you mm. don't realize it in this book, <laughs> but in the next <laughs> one, which is set there. Uh, you un kind of <laughs> understand why it is that they don't mind dying. So uh, because there's a lot of cool stuff, fun stuff for them to do. Um, all of the miserable class-based grinding poverty material gets handled in Mordew. And then we get to see what Nathan does, you know, with that. Um, <laughs> I can't give the game away, obviously, but it is a, it is a bleak and miserable existence for the people there. Uh, hmm. And the choice is, when you live in a bleak and miserable existence, what do you do about it? Um, and the answer to that is there's nothing you can do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's miserable a very British world. answer. Yeah. Uh, whatever you do, you're going to make things worse. Oh, yeah. I mean, um, again, give the game away here, but um, makes things worse is kind of the, uh, uh -huh. kind of the <laughs> plot arc. Power um, for you. You can't go around using power. You know, yeah, it has well, a tendency to make things bad. Hmm, yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that might be its job. In fact, <laughs> it's uh, almost you could say it corrupts. Um, yeah. well, I don't know. I've never heard that <laughs> idea, but yes, you might be right. You might so interesting. You should write that down, Gareth. <laughs> the book of that Saints. one has legs. <laughs> yeah, you could definitely go somewhere with that one, but um, yeah. So I think we should do a little plot synopsis right now because we've been talking about the book for a little while. If I'm not really, if someone has been listening to us, they don't sure. really know what it's about. Except there's exactly. mud, it's not out yet. misery, <laughs> someone named Nathan. Um, They're wet yeah, all the time. People <laughs> are wet and gooey. Yeah. yeah, but they might be listening to this in the future, at which point they've read it and thought, Christ, I better find out more about Alex, Phoebe, and Death Sentence, etc. So or even further see. in the future where all of us are wet. And it's like, yeah. hey, they're wet in that book? I'm wet. They <laughs> 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 yeah. scrabbled around in the living mud. <laughs> Grandfather, do you remember that? being yeah. dry? <laughs> I, I no. do have a theory that the book is set in the far future. but um... Ah. <laughs> That, the it the reader of the of the glossary might be able to work out whether that was an accurate statement or not. I I, I kind of skimmed the glossary. I mean, it's, ah, it's a it's a it's book. I had to do it in like a week. Two hundred pages of glossary in there. It's I actually know. got a story in it. <laughs> if yeah, you were to only read it, <laughs> I know, you have to read I, it in the right order. But yeah, I, I have to go. I have to go back to the glossary and the like, all the ephemera in the back because I. Yeah. I Need to know that's more. That's my favorite bit. Well, not favorite, obviously, but that's the bit I enjoyed writing the most, I think, uh, largely because it was the most recent stuff that I wrote. But also, you don't have to bother with story uh, or mm. plot summaries or anything like that. Yeah. You can just, just uh, sort of think like one cool thing after another. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, or just like describe a carrot in a funny way, you know? <laughs> it's all, yeah, it's all good. Yeah. I did a reading of it in um, uh, Gateshead at the Sage mm -hmm. Center. Um, last year for a kind of uh, festival of, of, of reading and writing that they were doing up in the Northeast. 
and all I read was the list of things that were in it. <laughs> and that was the point. And everyone yeah. seemed to enjoy that reading without having to bore yourself with anything as tedious as characters and wandering no, around. Yeah, I, 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 per, I don't know why, but I skipped over that bit, the list of list of items. Did you? Go back and read it in a very solemn voice. You can hear me but, reading it in a solemn voice, I think. Uh, if you go to the Gully Beggar website, they've got oh. me <laughs> solemnly reading in a very solemn way. I'm I, not I a great reader. I steal that for the show. That's yeah, only... well, do. Um, there's bits of it. Uh, do I do that bit? I think they might have given that way as a free thing to their Gully Buddy people. But the first chapter I definitely read in a solemn voice. I'm up nice. to chapter 33 now, I think, mm -hmm. uh, reading in a solemn voice, which I do when everyone's gone to bed. So I wait until they've gone to bed. <laughs> and then they're not... recording the audiobook then? Yeah, well, kind of, um, mm. in as much as I am reading it out and <laughs> there are, there are mm. recordings of it. Um, if someone were to come and do it properly, I'm sure I, could, I wouldn't mind them paying me money for that. Mm. Certainly that would be ideal. So don't think I've uh, undermined my own audiobook rights, anybody listening to this. <laughs> but certainly I am reading it out. It seemed like one of the things you could do without giving someone coronavirus. So mm -hmm. um, yeah, did that. Who would you, if you could get anyone, who would you get for your audiobook? Um, well, someone who can do a lot of good voices. I found out that I've only got two voices, Cockney and Posh. So I can't <laughs> work out which of there's any... Well, luckily, that covers most of the characters, so they're either Cockney mm. or Posh. Um, True, yeah, so, yeah. But that, what's his name? Martin Jarvis does a good job. Uh, mm. I like him. <laughs> he does the Just William books. He, uh, oh, yeah. those. And he's got a lot of, of good voices. I think he does Jeeves and Worcester as well, oh. which I think if you could make him miserable enough, if you, like, kill people mm. he loves, <laughs> and then make him start reading I was I was half convinced that you were about to ask him if you could give anyone coronavirus, who would it be? <laughs> I was just I mean, like, that's not really what too. Gareth is asking. Like, oh, I mean, where do you start? Yeah, <laughs> right? Good candidates out there. One yeah. of the good candidates has already got it, supposedly, and yeah. and so that's a disappointment. Yeah. <laughs> right. Tan tangent, but I don't believe Boris Johnson ever had coronavirus. No, he looked well. He looked, he looked ashen, but I guess that could well, he, be his yeah, kind of break attitude to life. Because he lives a desolate, dissolute <laughs> life of red boxes of red wine every day. All he, he does, does is eat chippy. <laughs> that's <laughs> not, a, a chippy is the shop. You go to a chippy to get chips. Ah, look, yeah, you, don't you know chip. I'm never going to learn how British people speak. <laughs> I thought Chippy was some American thing, like uh, no. Taco Bell or something. <laughs> I did have Taco uh, yeah. Bell actually before recording this. <laughs> well, sure. okay. So you get a yeah. like to get coronavirus. Who would benefit from having coronavirus? That's what I wonder. Who would benefit from having coronavirus? <laughs> that, that is a good question. The mm. <laughs> uh, only person good. who could benefit from it has already got it, Boris Johnson. Yeah, that's true. I mean, better Trump, than that. That's a good point. If it's Donald Trump bit. got it right now, he would benefit because he's oh, been he taking about it, mustn't he? If you just thought he's always knocking about with kind of coronavirus-looking people. Oh yeah, he's like, a deeply healthy individual, but he's been taking yeah. the hydrochlorine things. So <laughs> oh, if he if he got it right now, hydroxychloroquine. I had to learn how to say it. Oh God. yeah. So he's been wow. taking that, and hope if he got it now, he could really push his hydrochlorine thing. Um, yeah, <laughs> does he have shares in that or something? Is that one of the Trump industries? That, that's uh, yeah, that's apparently one of the one of the things he's bought a load of shares in the people who make it, <laughs> and he's pushing it out there. He's the foremost oh. distributor of colloidal silver. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Wow, that's quite a claim to fame. 
<laughs> but, um, so we actually sorry. did a plot synopsis. Oh, did you? Oh, yeah, well we done. No, Where did we you get got, up to? We, we didn't. We, we have not synopsized the plot yet. We got oh, way too into uh, riffing. Yeah, sorry <laughs> okay. about that. Yeah, we're going to do that. But yeah, yeah go ahead. We go ahead. Do it. Yeah, well, it's your book. Doing... I'll, get, I'll get stuff wrong. Doing the synopsis is the worst thing. Oh, I, I yeah, synopsis. Yeah. It's fun to make you do oh. it. Yeah. <laughs> There's a kid. He, he's got powers. Uh, it all goes wrong. The end. <laughs> uh, that does know. cover <laughs> everything, technically. <laughs> yeah, it does. That's close enough. Um, I don't know. <laughs> Are you really making me do a synopsis on the fly? Okay, it would be really okay. funny if we made you do it, but you have to start with, it's Harry Potter, but. <laughs> <laughs> you, just, you just disconnect. <laughs> <You're> like... <laughs> Harry Potter, but with corpses, I guess. And corpses Most and things Potter. are different. <laughs> there is a boy. Yeah, he's a boy. That's true. He's about the same age, so that's two things. Yeah. It kind of lives in a physical space with time. If there were stairs, he'd be living under them. That's for sure. <laughs> kind of lives under a, a mode of conveyance. So What's that's under too. under stairs? That's right, mud <laughs> <laughs> under the ground. Um, but his mum, yeah, no, his mum and dad are alive in this one. So that's mm -hmm. that's well, well uh, yeah. <laughs> See, I give, it's all spoilers, though. If I give away the plot, then I don't know, these people of the future who live in a terrible post-viral apocalyptic world will have to, you know, kind of make their minds up about what it is. <laughs> there's, there's stuff written on the back of the book, isn't there? I think if, if you uh, see the cover. Yes, there is. But it, the, the, the description has, um, it gives away a bunch of the plot that only occurs yeah. in like the last hundred pages or so. I know. <laughs> um, I don't know if that was intentional. Or I'm not. not uh, I didn't write that. <laughs> that stuff okay, on the back. Um, um, yeah, but it, it kind of, kind of... Went, it went out. Or did I? I can't remember now. I've been very busy. Yeah, um, yeah. To be fair, most it, it... most of the time, like publishers knock that stuff out. So I wouldn't be surprised oh, if it was. Oh, yeah, but I know them. So I, it's... I've had to do that for some stuff. It's, uh, it's an intern's it's, I mean... job. But, Just in case um, you're listening to this, it was it's fine. <laughs> so no need, you don't. I don't think it's the big deal. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. It, it's not. It doesn't doesn't ruin my enjoyment of it. I, I was kind of wondering, like two hundred, three hundred pages in, like when that's going to kick in. Yeah, yeah. what's all this God stuff about? Uh, yeah, well, in it, I mean, <laughs> I know. Perhaps that was an error. I don't know. We have to mm -hmm. think about it. It's not out yet. We could easily cross that bit out. Yeah, I, know I love how. Literally the opening line of its description on like every place that you can buy it. So like Amazon Powell's things like that that, that I found <laughs> opens God, with this head. huge spoiler. And I'm like, God damn. No. I mean, we can I we could say it. It is baller. It is very yeah. baller. It's, it's, a, it's a cool yeah, it's. I think I don't think anyone needs to worry about it. Once you've started reading it, you should probably continue. So if that if that was the bit that got you into it, then you know you'll have to wait until that bit kicks in. But it does eventually. And the next mm -hmm. book, it's all that. It's all kind of much more uh, <laughs> into the the mythos. So you get you get all of that kind of material that you're probably desperate for <laughs> by the time you get to the end of the book. So how far along are you with uh, part two? Uh, it's all planned. The and most of, some of it's written, um, so I know where it's going, uh, and I've started. But I'm not like slated to provide another fantasy novel to Gally Beggar. They've got this. Um, well, they've, I've been planning to write another kind of Lucia book about um, Georges Bataille's wife, 
who was also the wife of Jacques Lacan uh, and French intellectuals in the 1930s and Jean Renoir's uh, A Day in the the Countryside, uh, an unfinished film that Sylvia Bataille was in and blah, blah, blah. Um, So it's literary fiction again. But if this one really kicks off, I've got a feeling they'll probably want me to bump that uh, and then get more to work on uh, on book two. But, you know, I've got a proper job. Like, uh, you know, it's cool working uh, for uh, small publishers and they're great people. Uh, and uh, everyone's really keen and interested in that kind of stuff, which is not always true of the bigger publishers. But at the same time, I've got a job. So, you know, mm. uh, i got to do that. And now all of this coronavirus malarkey means that I've got to think yeah. of ways of delivering kind of degrees to people without ever seeing them, mm. <laughs> meeting them, <laughs> and I'm trying to keep people engaged using online love, all that kind oh, of art. So you're in academia, I take it, then? Yeah, so that's oh, I teach sorry. creative writing. So, oh, uh, God, sorry. You, my best friend does that, and I yeah, yeah, I don't wish that on anyone. Well, I'm taking time out of marking to talk to you, so oh, okay. marking. If, if you I need mean, to like um, say some grades you could give to people, then uh, I could do that. Like seventy one, yeah, seventy one. That's a good grade. Like that. That's sixty four. People yeah, seventy one. Yeah. It's when they get the thirty fours and the thirty eights that they don't like it. <laughs> I, I love the idea of a purely like numeric grading for creative writing. Yeah, that would with be great. No, no comment. Just, just a hard think, objective number. <laughs> I don't think a hundred is a, is specific enough either. I think you should be marked out of a thousand, so that I can give you four hundred and sixty two, and then you'll know exactly what <laughs> what you've done right. Over. You're like, I don't know why I deserve this, but I guess I do. It's so specific. yeah, well, quite well. I, I got a, I got a, um, a grade out of 100 when I did the Master's in Creative Writing at yeah. University of East Anglia, where I think, Alex, you have taught I or yes, doctorate. I have a PhD, yeah. so that beats you. So. Well, okay, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I've got to salute you. I, I was actually in, in a class. My, my graduating class had another of Gally Beggar's authors, Jonathan Gibbs, in it. Oh, right. And, yeah, so say hello to him if you ever see him. Um, but, you um, see him around every now and then. Yeah, so hello to Gareth. Is it, but, uh, is it exclusively like a publisher of only really good writers? Because that seems yeah, like a really yeah, good yeah, They only put out like, um, two books out a year at the moment, sometimes one. So um, uh, at the moment, they've every book, every book that they put out wins an award <laughs> or is oh, shortlisted yeah. for something. I mean, Duck's New Report was one, but yeah. you just go back in time and you're looking at a Girl is a Half Form Thing was one of mm, theirs. And book. Me, obviously, I got shortlisted for the Welcome Prize, and mm. uh, various people get shortlisted for everything. Well, everyone's been shortlisted for something. So mm. as a hit kind of rate uh, for a publisher, I, I don't think there's anybody else as good, perhaps, and they won't like me saying this, but Fitzcarraldo. But then mm. that's easy because they just you know, kind of uh, poach European yeah. literature that's already done well and translated mm. into English. So that's cheating a little bit. So. Mm. <laughs> but for people yeah, who yeah. are fostering homegrown talent they do a brilliant job and they're great yeah every every book that i've run into um from from them is just absolutely like blows my fucking socks off yeah well that's the in that way that like sometimes you can run into brilliant writing that makes you want to quit because you're like i will never (laughs) be this good i have to stop now but instead it's like this is the kind of stuff that like makes my brain feel like it's on fire and i sit and i you know rough up like 
and it's done by the people of the present. So, uh, you know, yeah. generally you get some sense that you could be engaged with that world too. I mean, if you read Thomas Mann or something, you're like, okay. Mm. Uh, <laughs> yeah, or Nabokov. You think, oh, just go back, all of these big kind of um, canonical men. And you're like, <laughs> okay, well, where does that leave me? And you think, well, fuck it. There's no point in doing anything under <laughs> these circumstances. But when you start coming down to the contemporary lit end and there are people doing relatively interesting new stuff uh, that you feel like you have some kind of emotional engagement with. Uh, and even in terms of the form, it's pushing things. So you yeah. realize there's something you can do, you can add. Mm. And it's really nice. They they um, have, like, well, they have people around for dinner and stuff. And you would come meet loads of nice people like Preeti Taneja and... Um, uh, Lucy Elman would all came round to dinner the other day. Well, when was this? Before Christmas, and they had a really nice time talking to people who are really cool mm -hmm. uh, and interesting and good. Um, so that's nice. Whereas I think a lot of people with the big publishers tend to be like either on the backlist, in which case no one's interested in them, or being pushed hard to to go and do book tours uh, on their own and you know, staying in motels and. Turning up to a Waterstones, you know, whenever that is. What do they have in mm. America? What the bookshops? Barnes and Noble. And yeah. is that a? Are they broke? Waters? They, is it? Yeah, there's Waters? A, there's about. Oh no, Waters is bankrupt, and they got bought by oh, Barnes yeah. and Noble. Oh. There's about yeah. four Barnes and Nobles left in the country. <laughs> well, they won't be going uh, around those. They keep they keep closing them. <laughs> There was one when I was in um, Canada, I did a similar kind of thing for Biblioasis, who are another small publisher in Canada. Uh, McNally something. Oh my God, I, no, I, I used to live in Canada. I've never heard of McNally. Maybe that's McNally? an East. Is that an East Coast thing? I don't know. Uh, where were where were we? That was Winnipeg, wherever whichever. Oh, Middle Coast. Uh, okay. Yeah, in the middle of it. Yeah. Um. Yeah. How did we get onto that? I can't remember. Oh yeah, Gary Beggar. <laughs> <Kingdom. laughs> yeah, they're Gary really Beggar. Good. Great, great <laughs> publisher. And so, I, feel, you know, sometimes feel bad because this is my the third book of mine they've put out. So, um, you know, they've really doubled down on my stuff because they needn't. Because you know they they were known for picking up um, new writers and discovering them, and you know kind of um, with people like Lucy picking up um, books that um, they knew were going to do really well. Um, but they signed a full book deal with me, so that was oh. yeah. And it's kind of I'm really enjoying it. Uh, I think they are. Um, <laughs> yeah, and it's good so. stuff. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know whether they're making it. Every one of their covers has the same uh, format, and they've broken that format just for you. They so have. They, they and again, like they've, uh, that's true. That That is true. But then they've also decided that the black flap um, copies of the books are only going to the gully buddies now, so people who oh. subscribe to their um, <laughs> subscription scre uh, scream? scheme. <laughs> subscription scheme. Uh, uh, so they would have had to have come up with something anyway. Um, and this one has got a nice cover. I think people like the cover. Oh, yeah. I like the cover. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I it, think it's it uh, cool. That, that premium, like, uh, very like Edward Gorey kind of yeah. feel that fits perfectly for it. Like, it's. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's, it's, it's. I'm always impressed that people are getting the ideas. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, when you write stuff, when you read it, <laughs> it just looks like a whole pile, as you'll know, it's like a pile of gibberish. You know, you just put stuff down and you're like, does this mean anything? And then someone reads it and then they draw it out for you. <laughs> Next thing you know, you're like, oh, so that was coming across then. I've, that that did make sense. And it is something that actually people can imagine. <laughs> well, that's nice. I mean, it kind of overwrites what you actually thought yourself a little bit. So I can't look at it too often. But um, I think he did an excellent job, James Nunn. If, um, yeah.
Yeah. Done loads of good um, covers. I've been nice. getting, I get really big. Um, uh, th this is going to make more sense to Gareth, I think, unless you also happen to have been a connoisseur of contemporary avant-garde Japanese horror literature. Um, <laughs> well, let's I get, see. <laughs> I, I get really big Sisyphean vibes from, from chunks oh, of this. Yeah. Okay. I don't know that. It was a, like, it, it's come up a lot on this show. It's um yeah, it uh it, it's, a, it's very much our shit. It's um the most I, had a lot of metal I think <laughs> I've ever read. <laughs> okay. It's it's uh it specifically like the way engaging with um the the matter of the like living mud, although that it takes it in a completely different kind of direction, but I just had like similar imagistic vibes and similar um very strong, like, uh, like working class politics arising yeah. from it that aren't a, like you're delicate enough that you don't have to like thud people on the nose, but it's like it's it's there. You're gonna pick up on it. Like it's not. I can't imagine someone walking do. away being like, "I'm glad that the poor have suffered in this one." <laughs> like, yeah, and I mean, yeah. obviously, any book that features a, a gang of street of street urchins is gonna have a Dickens comparison. That's true. Um, but I, I think you get more to like the less superficial aspects of Dickens. Uh, his yeah. things like uh, books more like like Hard Times that fewer people have read than all of a twist. Yeah, yeah sure. Like, like that are more, house, yeah, Bleak, like, Bleak House. Yes, things like that, which are more social, socially concerned books. They're, yeah, sure. I mean, um, that is definitely something that I was interested in doing. But also, um, if you kind of uh, hit a particular trope pretty hard people will go with it so if you're thinking artful dodger type territory and you're going down mm. the line it's then quite easy to surprise people when when things start going off the rails with that mm. trope. exactly yeah so it's nice it's a it's a good way of, of managing people's plot expectations and kind of giving them something that they weren't expecting when the mm. things that you imagine were going to be the pleasures of the book turn out not to quite be the pleasures of the book mm. um yeah. Exactly. So it's nice. So you do lots of good things. It's good to have, I think. I mean, I've made my career as such as it is out of it. It's good to have precursors that you're working off and working mm. with. So yeah, the first I mean, um, book that anybody took any notice of was Playthings. But before that, I'd written this book called Grace, which uh, riffed a lot on, on um, Angela Carter and fairy tales and that kind of stuff. Uh, and then Playthings was about Schreber the um, schizophrenic German judge. And then Lucia's about James Joyce's daughter. And this is kind of like about fantasy, I think, to a certain extent, uh, and pulling in a lot of those pre-existent tropes and then fucking around with them a bit so that people don't really know where they're coming from. Um, and disappointing people sometimes, I guess, mm -hmm. but surprising people, but also maintaining enough of the genre so that you get the genre fun out of it whilst mm -hmm. playing enough with it as a kind of writer to you know not to make it crass and shit um yeah. but actually put a lot of effort into the writing of it uh, mm. and to the thinking behind it and yeah you can definitely tell some it, of that. It kind of it's 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 designed to do something and it's starting to do it in module and it will continue to do it and eventually by the time you get to the end it will have done something <laughs> um in a way that's you know sometimes uh you know uh, I can't. There's no. There's no point in talking about Harry Potter or The Lord of the Rings or anybody. But the there's always fantasy a point as a narrative those. structure doesn't mm. always do, mm. right? It doesn't. It, it it wants to give you the pleasures, but it doesn't want to take the consequences. 
So I think this is, I like the idea of having those pleasurable things, but taking the consequences of them. I yeah. mean, that's, that's sort of the biggest critique that I think people have had of like, so let's present the scenario of, so we're going to take, we're going to do what all the like uh, functionally illiterate, uh, like uh, neoliberals uh, want us to do. And we're going to take Harry Potter seriously as literature and just see what we get out yeah. of it. And the yeah. short version is, we come up to the very end where the moment of like, there should be some profound consequence to this thing. Yeah, and there isn't. There, it's beyond that there isn't. Every every death feels like it happens in a very plot functional way. Everyone is milked yeah. for all their plot worth and then they expire. No one dies without disclosing their secret. No one yeah. takes a secret to their grave or uh, you don't lose anything permanently that you needed like not just wanted but needed and then even harry potter dies and then it's just resurrected out of the blue because and, i know man, I, I really like how <laughs> it's just it's it's just awful like it's like the say, um, people like for, it i mean because i i use harry potter as a touchstone for the students because it's something they've all read and yeah. a lot of them love that book uh hmm. those books they they love them still i mean wow i, I way, feel like yeah, still like in a way, that, 18, you know, 19 year olds nowadays would have yeah, be, would have started on different stuff, but uh, well, are they, they still do. doing it? <laughs> they still do. Oh, I think it God. sits pretty heavily on the on the public consciousness. Uh, yeah, I have, I have uh, when I when I worked at my last yeah. job, I had people who were eighteen and nineteen that I was training and would talk about how their parents would read them the Harry yeah, Potter series all the way through when they were like like three and four. Like that yeah, was that, their bedtime oh, reading. Yeah, well, that's my son. He's the same age. I, I last night I read him a book about a, a vampire who's also a fairy. And, that sounds um, pretty cool. Yeah, it, it was pretty cool actually. You uh, do. That's nice. yeah. <laughs> Alex, you should check out uh, check out Emilia Thang. You can probably get some uh, pointers. Okay, it's real good. <laughs> I'll try my best. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like we have this recurring joke. Well, it's it's not even really a joke. It's kind of how we feel that like I, we don't really care about uh, plot. Like 95% yeah. of the time, I'm perfectly, like a book like Speedboat, brilliant <laughs> literary book, doesn't really have a plot as I would describe it, like the way that you think of like a CSI episode having a plot, but that's yeah. fine. But it's beautiful language. It has lots of great epiphanies and insights. It It's playful in the literary sense. All those wonderful things. There's a lot that you can do outside of the world of pure plot. And we even get most oh, of the who rag on something like Finnegan's Wake do so because they're like, well, there isn't really a plot to it. He's just really good at writing. <laughs> well, yeah, it's a fucking book. Like, that's the point of a book. Like, do you hate reading? Where, uh, I mean, that you can only have read books with plot for that to be something that you'd expect even. I mean, where are these other... I mean, there's so many books. Yeah. I mean, children's books don't have a plot. I mean, you know, they're, they're just fun things to read. Um, yeah. So I'm always slightly surprised about that. But even have... with plot, I think you can you can rein it in. You can bring it back. If if Nev if Harry Potter had died, right, and everyone was miserable, and Neville was the Messiah, then that would have been a decent ending. <laughs> it would yeah. have been a, look the person well, that you were ignoring, the person that you were laughing at, the person who was a kind of spot and everybody's kind of uh, butt of all their jokes in your world, in your Harry Potter loving world. That was the fucking <laughs> person that you should have been paying attention to. Not this bespectacled fucking love God who turns into someone who can come back from the dead. I mean, that's, that would have, you know, that would have been redeemable. I mean, as, yeah, as a plot. So and, I think you could do it. Well, that's one of the things that I actually quite like about how you handle Mordu, that for the first 
half or maybe two thirds. This is where the other big Gormenghast comparison, I think, comes out is where mm. Gormenghast is largely premised around, yes, we're in perhaps a fantasy world. And then obviously by the end of Gormenghast, you realize it's it's just Europe. But um that yeah. it sets up like and it but it's about the social realism of it. And it's just sort of tumbling through that world without giving a direction to it until right at the end with Titus alone. And you know, we never yeah. got the last three books. So we never really got where the plot was gonna go. But I really like how you live in that world. And if for for a large chunk of the book, you convince yourself that it's just going to be this very beautiful social fantasy and that very mm -hmm. Gormenghastian sense and wing of the world. And like, you know, we, we have all those essays about like Gormenghast and Lord of the Rings were published at basically the same time. And fantasy literature went with one over the other. But, you know, yeah, what, sure. what could have happened? All that kind of stuff. But then, but then, and it's the part that, Again, we're uncomfortable saying, although, again, if anyone's listening, literally just Google the book and click on any place <laughs> telling it. They will tell you the part that we're avoiding saying. You get plot right at the end, and holy, holy shit, you get a lot of it. Like, yeah. you, it's like, I really loved that setup of spending hundreds of pages, not, not like 50 or, you know, 100 or so, but hundreds setting this thing and then right as you turn the corner it's like you like haymaker someone right in the side of the head <laughs> with just like and yeah well this is the literary fiction kind of stuff kicking in i mean it's yeah. you make those expectations and then you have to you have to overturn them otherwise what was the point of making them in the first place i mean i you can't just rehash uh, <laughs> material from the past uh in not looking at anybody but you just can't you can't do that and remain interested as a writer i don't think i mean and there has to be something that you're moving on and i mean i was brought up by philosophers so i have a lot of <laughs> philosophy kind of uh in my bones uh um which is both good and bad but um if you any, think any of, particular kind of philosopher well let's think, <laughs> think of three form big uh, of philosophers who have a tri-modal uh, understanding of history so mm -hmm. we might have someone like Fichte. Uh, who looks at um, the idea <laughs> of dialectics popularized <laughs> by Hegel, for example, where you set up one thing and then you set up the opposite of that thing and then you resolve those two things into one. And there you can definitely follow that kind of pattern in the plotting of, mm. of Mordew. And in, yeah. as a trilogy, you're going to find out that that's how that thing uh, operates on a, on a kind of meta level across the series too. So you get this kind of... Uh, <sighs> the setting up that long setting up then a long counter setup and then a combination of the two things and seeing where that runs and what the natural consequences of those two things are well i think a lot of fantasy um kind of uh, uh the underlying philosophy behind a lot of fantasy writing is it gives you the thesis but you never get the antithesis the antithesis is kind of built into the big bad character who is then defeated which is not hmm. That's, yeah. not how, uh, that's not how dialectics works, uh, <laughs> only it was, um, particularly from a Marxist point of view. But there is that constant kind of churning development of history that I think I wanted to, to kind of have running through the plot of, mm. of Mordew. And the, uh, the constant churning of... I like, right? Because, you know, yeah. I, <laughs> I think... And I just the constant churning of ordinary people. The you know, yeah. history being like... A, you know, it's Exactly. About... We say it's about you know, the big names, the Napoleons yeah. and Churchills, but uh, and the Nathans. Yeah, but, uh, actually, like a lot of people die in this book. This book has an incredible body <laughs> count. It, it does. 
<laughs> yeah, which is yeah historically yeah, accurate. That's, you know, it is, and also you know, it's it's resolved uh, as you'll see as you carry on through the trilogy. Because yeah, if and... you read if you read the the glossary, there hmm. all of the things that you're reading in Morgi set in a much wider context. Um, that forces you eventually to side with the people that you don't want to side with mm. uh, and to commit terrible crimes <laughs> as a reader in your sympathies. And, uh, you know, I think, oh God, in, rather than, I don't want to be too unnecessarily bleak at a time in which we're all stuck in our rooms feeling miserable, but I think essentially your existence as a human being in the 21st century is a crime. It's a crime <laughs> against other human beings. It's a crime against... It's a crime against everything, <laughs> and particularly if you happen to live in the West, um, particularly for the kind of person who has a laptop capable of, of streaming your voice to people across the other side of the world and sitting, boring them, putting their ears off as a privilege, as opposed to having to fucking work for a living or to slave in a garment factory to make my very comfortable tracksuit buttons that I have on here. This is, you're just, your whole existence is, is, a, is, is a negative. Uh, and to as a writer to feed um that kind of culture that essentially negative humanity positive images of itself i think is is another crime so i think that if anything if i'm going to be kind of uh, vainglorious then the work of something like mordew is to undermine your sense that everything's okay in the world mm. and for you uh while simultaneously giving you enough pleasure that you pay the 15.99 to <laughs> keep oh, yeah. us getting churned out <laughs> yeah I, I would gladly pay 15.99 for this i i yeah Good. I have a PDF, <laughs> so I can't. Uh, I'll maybe Venmo it to you. Um, okay, okay. Well, that's good. Uh, just, this, uh, is, this is certainly the kind of book that I want, like a, a physical copy. This this has that oh, yeah. kind of feel that, like I want to hold it. Like I don't want it to be this. Like obviously, I, I read it through PDF too because the yeah. physical book's not out yet. But like it's it's one of those. I mean, it. We we run into these every now and again when we're reading something. Where it's also something that I like. I want to hand to someone and give them that look of like, you're going to read this fucking book, or I'm gonna, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna burn your house down. Like, I'll help you. I, that's <laughs> what I, one of the things I really like about fantasy is, is just in general as a as genre is it's heft. You get the thing mm. and it's massive, and you're like, whoa, <laughs> this is a this is a thing in and of itself. And I feel like if I open the pages on this then Narnia-like, I'm going to be transported to somewhere that I don't already know. And mm. that book for that is, is really important. Um, yeah. And sometimes the screen, I mean, if you're doing it in games, that's also true. And if you can get a good intro um, to something and to kind of really invest you in the visuals of something, and particularly the aesthetic style, you can get the same kind of effect. But that feeling of having a big weighty thing that you know is going to take you time uh, and you can track yourself as you go through it. And there's a hundred chapters in Mordu on purpose mm. so that you can yeah. <laughs> you can do a hundredth <laughs> with each reading. And then you're knowing, okay, so now I'm just I'm getting through this thing and I'm in there. Um all of those things are, are, are brilliant. Um brilliant for the for having a book as a material object, uh, but also for as a as a genre and the way that plays into the material object. I think that's really important. And it's something Gally Beggar do really well, which is one of the reasons mm. why they they kind of make their covers, you know, kind of so serious is that you mm. don't only feel like you're being engaged in the in the writer's um, view of their own book. You feel like you're engaged in a wider culture of people of similar uh, sensibilities yeah. that are all engaged in a, a kind of artistic work. Um, yeah, it feels like you have a cool friend you know. called Galley Beggar who gives you great books. Yeah. 
and they really are good curators of, of literature. They don't just, you know, kind of put out what they think is going to make money, you know, and uh, clearly. Uh, and <laughs> and yeah. for that reason, then you're in a privileged position of, of having people working on your behalf, really just working on your behalf, because they do it for the love of it. They, you know, they're, they're not swanning about in, in, in these kind of uh, publishers' parties and, and living large. Although we did all go to the Booker prize-winning thing for Lucy's <laughs> thing, which was... Um, kind of interesting to hobnob with uh, Salman Rushdie and uh, his security team. <laughs> um, security? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Cool. Is he, wow, he's still got one. I think they're yeah. on board by now. Wow. No, well, I don't think they've... I think he pays them not to be, or the publishers do. Um, I don't think they've waived the fatwa. Well, not according to your enthusiasm, yeah, anyway. I feel like fatwas aren't, I mean, I, I'll admit, I don't know how fatwas work, you know, on the inside. That's not, that's not my, my purview necessarily, but they don't seem like the kind of thing that you'd be like, yeah, no, you, I, I'm going to call a fatwa, but uh, for like 20 well, years. I think and it's if, like, if you can make forms. it for 20, then you're good. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, well, I don't know. I mean, it's like in Final Fantasy uh, 12. Do you play that one? Uh, where yeah. they have like uh, a bulletin board with all the hunts on it. I think there may be hunts like uh from the early tavern <laughs> that you go into <laughs> that you didn't bother to do but i still think it's extant i think if someone goes in there and they say ah a salmon rushdie a level five fatwa <laughs> <laughs> go to wherever it is the salmon rushdies hang out and uh <laughs> attempt to capture him i think that i think it's probably still there i mean you have to assume it was I mean, if you were Salman Rushdie, you wouldn't be thinking, okay, well, that's, you know, kind of time's passed yeah. on my death sentence. <laughs> okay. Unless you get like a specific, like the Ayatollah reaches out to you again and it's oh, like, hey, I, mean, I want you yeah. to know the bygones have been bygones. I, I don't know what the situation is, but I imagine there are more liberal Ayatollahs uh, than, you know, than perhaps the ones they used to have in the 80s and 90s. And perhaps, yeah. perhaps the I whole imagine they, like, machine is, they... is kind of wound down. I don't know. I mean, there's going to be millennial Ayatollahs at some point. You know, those, those are coming. Yeah. They're going to be much, yeah, going to be much just, more chill. Yeah. Like, like Ayatollahs have grown up on Vaporwave. But then I was they... going to bring up the Vaporwave thing. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but they may have been forced to read Salman Rushdie, you know, at university. That's and... true. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I made the Desperate mistake of reading Satanic Verses one time just because of the controversy, but never again. Yeah, it was a big deal at one point, wasn't it? It was, it was in all the papers. It's a fine book. I think it probably is fine that it also stays in the era that it's from. Like there, are, <laughs> yeah. um, but <laughs> wow. I haven't read any of his stuff recently, um, but I remember thinking he was good in the past. There were lots of people that I used to read that I don't read anymore. I've had mm. press I don't read uh, anything anymore. <laughs> Salman Rushdie mm. did the the telltale problem that certain authors of a certain age did, which is they started talking about things that they think, and apparently yeah. we don't like any of those. We don't we don't like any <laughs> of the thoughts they have. They're all bad. Yeah. <laughs> that is one of the problems. <laughs> I think it's generally like, your audience becomes people who are very like you. <laughs> Like authors in general, if you get big enough, you should pay someone and you talk to them and they tell you whether you can do interviews. Like yeah. their job <laughs> is to be true. like, no, don't talk to anyone. Avoid every microphone. Just yeah. You're yeah. gonna sell way more copies if no one knows what you think about <laughs> anything. <laughs> the trouble. I mean, the trouble if you've gone on record with every single thing you've thought since about 1980, then you're bound to get yourself in trouble at some point. Particularly if everyone's gone, oh yes, that's interesting. Please do tell us more about why there's no such thing as trans women. 
<laughs> mm, yes, that's interesting. You know, at some point it would have been cool to say, yeah, yeah, whatever. <laughs> Not so much. Uh, and, you know, I guess, although he seems to make a living, he was looking very well on it at the Booker Prize thing. Yeah, I don't Scott think he's Finn... going to run out of money anytime soon. That, that, <laughs> seems, Sorry, that okay. seems unlikely. <laughs> and I saw Louis by C.K. Central Park or something, wasn't he? Yeah, I think you can redeem that now. I think <laughs> Louis C.K. is showing the way <laughs> so you're allowed for some reason. <laughs> To, to be, uh, you know, a sex offender now. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you can run for president and be a sex offender. Yeah, and you can I just know. straight up say, like... But I don't think I, I'm so mystified by a statement. If, if you believe her, then don't vote for me. I wouldn't vote for me if I believed her. And it's like, what the fuck? Do you even want to be the president? Like, what the hell? <laughs> I, read a, like, I read a thing earlier today that people are apparently... Um, most Democrats who they surveyed believe Tara Reid, but they're also going to vote for Joe Biden, which is against what Joe Biden said, which is to not vote for him if you believe her. I don't understand. I don't understand what happened to Bernie Sanders. I mean, I wasn't paying attention. I was uh... looking one direction. Next time I turned around, he'd gone. (laughs) I was like, well, where did he I, I can explain that one. It just sucks. It's the same thing that happened with Jeremy Corbyn. A bunch yeah, of people they, decided like, oh, we really it. don't like him. So we're going to fuck ourselves so hard that we lose an election. Just yeah. to also fuck him. Mm. <laughs> and it's and like, I, what the hell? <laughs> I know it is a bit weird. Now you're going to have, you've basically got two senile people with dementia running against each other, which is... Yeah. The debates awesome. are going to be just incredible. <laughs> I can't wait. Yeah, slow paced is my guess. <laughs> it's great that since I live in America and it's about to become a nightmare, but you guys <laughs> yeah. live in Britain, which is currently yeah, a nightmare. I mean, well, America is also currently a nightmare. Mm. Uh, it's it's uh, this is some people from the outside, like people in France or Australia or Japan or something. They might view this as the pot calling the kettle black instead of what it is, which is two passengers locked inside of the lower <laughs> decks of the Titanic, just they're pointing and laughing at each other while the water creeps up. <laughs> they're not bothered. They're smoking their way through coronavirus. So, you know, that's they're, they're not interested in any of this stuff. This Anglo-American bullshit is played out <laughs> generation, <laughs> as far as they're concerned. They're, they're having a great time uh, <laughs> being French. It's like, and... it's like in a perfect world, I would have seen America's hegemony over uh, global politics end in a, a different way, I'd say. <laughs> Not this one, but, you know, if the fruits are good, then, <laughs> <laughs> then we're okay. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I'm I'm still delighted that it wasn't a nuclear holocaust. That right? was, uh, we the main close one. to that, too. That's, you know... Yeah, you know. Yeah. <laughs> there is teeth. 100% gone but um i didn't think i was going to live this long so uh anything's a bonus so yeah i wanted to i, I you teased this at the start i wanted to i wanted to talk about ya because this this book is, oh, not, okay. is not young out is not a young adult novel hey i, I don't know. know right well give you an well, idea when i one That's of the, the first thing, yeah. I'm going to talk over you. One of the first okay. <laughs> back afterwards. I don't mind. Um, <laughs> one of the first books I read was, you know, and I, it was was the Iliad. Right, that's what I read when I was five. My my parents, particularly my dad, kind of hot housed me with uh, European literature from a very young age. So um, I don't think that kids can't read this. I don't think that young mm. adults can't read it. It's dedicated to my kids. The oldest of whom is 15, and Polly who's um, 11, uh, no, 12 now, who is Sam and Ellie's kids. And they, they, 
I don't think there's anything in there that's going to uh, surprise them above and beyond anything they get from watching Netflix. Um, there's yeah, nothing, I mean, uh, you know, that's going to freak them out. I don't think. I mean, I've read The Plague uh, and The Rats. Uh, and, you know, I remember thinking, what the fuck's all this about? But I don't remember thinking, oh, my God, my entire sense of self has been kind of dissolved. Hmm. I, yeah, I mean, like, when wow. I was 15, I read American Psycho. Yeah, yeah you're about. Though, I was just I mean, one of those, like, like uh, edgy kids who reads all the bad books. I mean, I've, I've, everybody likes YA. Uh, again, hmm. students, they all like it. So I don't have a problem with YA stuff. And lots of the stuff they show me is pretty interesting. Um but at the same time, it's like a, a bullshit marketing gimmick for that makes it just easier to sell to multiple demographics <laughs> simultaneously. Mm. And, you know, post Harry Potter is just a, a way of indicating to people that don't worry, it's not going to be too difficult. Um, mm. And I think then people just buy it anyway. So it doesn't make any difference. And Moji is not aimed at young adults. It's just aimed at clever people. <laughs> One way or another. <laughs> clever kids, clever young adults, clever adults, <laughs> whoever they are. Um, you don't have to be, you know, like a genius like me to understand and read it, but uh, <laughs> but, it's, but you'll certainly get more out of it if you are. Mm. Um, but you know, it's, it's it's supposed to be fun for everyone, uh, including young adults. Uh, that probably wasn't your question. So now, <laughs> I know. I, I was just I was just thinking, what would because we we talked a bit earlier about uh, handing these books to people, getting them out like virally from person to person, like a virus, and um, <laughs> yeah. like. If you if so you were to hand Morju to a Harry Potter fan, I, I'm I'm really interested in seeing what would happen. Yeah, I, well, I, I, more this is what than a Harry Potter uh, should have been like. <laughs> so yeah, like kind of, yeah. Yeah. Like, like what would a Harry Potter fan think of this book? I think they'd it has, like it. Yeah, it has familiar <laughs> touchstones. There's the, a young boy who I is think a, if you kind of liked Harry Potter, character. you'll love Morju. That's what I think. <laughs> should go on the cut. But um, yeah, I, I, I'm very interested in seeing what people are going to think about this. Because l- last year, we had a kind of similar situation where, um, uh, I forget his name now, um, Marlon James put out um, yeah. uh, Red Wolf, I, I always get this wrong. Uh, yeah, uh, I can't remember uh, the name. Red, Red Wolf, Wolf Red Leopard? Leopard? Yeah, Red Leopard. Yeah. Both but, of those colors and both of those animals and some people. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah, and it was it was brilliant, and it was a, a fantasy book with African themes, as opposed to European. It was absolutely yeah. stunning book, book. But I don't know how well it sold. But from the reviews I've saw, I've saw a lot of people who like fantasy didn't get on with that book at all. Well, yes, they, that's they what I found it really alienating. Well, I it, don't. It was, think, yeah. was it fantasy? I mean, was it a fantasy fantasy, or was it um, literary fiction with fantasy elements? I think a I, woman I mean, walked it's hard on to the tell. ceiling and nurtured mutants. So okay, well that's <laughs> I think that's it was, I think it was fancy. close to magical realism, though, doesn't it? I mean, you know, it's it's a tricky line to tread. I don't think Mordew is magical realism, and I don't think Mordew is literary fiction. Mordew is definitely fantasy. Oh yeah, but I think sometimes, like like the buried giant. Uh, I know everybody got into a lather in the fantasy community about Ishiguro's coming in and stamping heavily on the genre. I mean, I I think it's possible to act as a writer of literary fiction like fantasy is is an easy thing and you, without really understanding the rules of it and then coming in and doing something that doesn't feel like fantasy but feels like something else. I think Mordew feels like fantasy. I might be wrong. It does. It, yeah, do, it feels no, like it, it to me. Does. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, yeah. I love fantasy. I mean, all of those things that I was hothoused into reading, I basically eschewed in my teenage years and then did nothing but read genre fiction. 
Um, <laughs> then I've yeah, kind of dropped back into and out of literary fiction. But I've been writing genre fiction for a lot longer than I've written literary fiction. It's just that no one wanted to publish it. Uh, it was only when I started getting um, published as a literary fiction writer that people were interested in my writing at all. And then the moment they were, I squeezed a whole bunch of fantasy material in <laughs> because I would much rather be a writer of fantasy <laughs> than I would be a writer of literary fiction. Um, not because it's easier, but because I enjoy it more. Uh, it's as simple as that. Um, I'm happy to write literary fiction. Sometimes I can't help but write literary fiction. But I think my kind of, uh, if I lived as a, my favorite author is Jack Vance, right? Uh, I oh, read hell yes. everything of Jack Vance's when I was a kid. I used to go to the secondhand bookshops in Hay on Wye before it just became a festival town and scoured them for out of print Jack Vance books. And that was basically my life for two or three years. Um, and I just read everything, right? He, I don't know, he must have done 60 novels, something like that, uh, and never made a, a brilliant living out of it. Um, he won a lot of fantasy plaudits, but he lived in a houseboat uh, and traveled all around the world with his wife and did loads of cool stuff. And I thought, okay, well, this is that was that would be what I'd really love to do. Just write brilliant fantasy and science fiction and then keep the overheads low and, and not go to work. Right? <laughs> um, unfortunately, the kind of world disappeared out from under me in that respect. Oh, yeah, and, uh, big time. And the kind of, you know, the days when you could sell uh, a story to amazing science fiction for enough money to live on for the month are uh, long gone. But uh, the, the dream still exists. <laughs> and I think that that impetus is is something that drives things like Mordew. And then, unfortunately, possibly, um, my literary sensibilities, I, I can't ditch. They don't. It's not like I've got a, a situation where I think to myself, well, fantasy is is a lower medium uh, and therefore I don't have to try as hard. Instead, I try even harder. Uh, and then I'm in a situation where I have to work very hard on the thing that I love. Uh, so then it's, I don't know, it edges some of the pleasure out of it. But I would, if this takes off, if people like Mordew, then I'd be delighted. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I love this book and I'm going to be like a megaphone out in the streets as soon as they cancel the quarantine, telling people to read this book. Because I, I really, well, really like this. I would be forever grateful if you were that person. Uh, <laughs> like one of, and, one of the things that I love so much about it is just a really simple thing. And it's like we see, say this is someone who has written a lot of genre fiction, has gotten genre fiction published, knows all that kind of stuff. One of the yeah. big things that we hear is you obviously stories at some point have some kind of upheaval some kind of resolution and then some kind of consequence of this. And this is sure. just sort of the general arc of stories. You can fill that out with a lot of different movements, but the general advice of make that big upheaval as soon as you possibly can. Yeah. And then also right when you get to the conclusion, you want to finish the book as soon as you possibly can, yeah. which sounds good on paper and they provide a good, uh, the, a lot of argumentation for it. And that, that all sounds fine until you start thinking that that means stories mean only the middle of the story <laughs> so like you don't always get like why is this upheaval so momentous you get told it but you don't feel it yeah. you don't live in this other experience that then actually gets uh well this is the thing that You're i think I... it's overthrown but you don't like yeah but i think that what you learn from literary fiction and from from not relying on plot is that sense of making someone live in your world Right is which is fantasy does anyway often is is so important that you can do without everything else <laughs> if you can just get people to believe they're living in that world, then that is an achievement in and of itself, and 
uh, literary fiction people are more than uh, willing to allow that to be true. So no one's ever said to someone, okay, well, there wasn't enough plot in your latest, you know, kind of mm. Booker Prize nominated Ducks whatever. Ducks New Report, for example. Yeah, Ducks New Report. What <laughs> you want to do with Ducks New Report is ki- there's this massively elongated, uh, uh, like Skovsky in the uh, uh, an artist's technique, if you've read that essay from the Russian formalists, um, this idea that you're elongating the the experience of the thing. And that in itself is 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 a kind of valuable piece of of work artistically. And I think that's something that, you know, I think that lots of these, uh, you know, the hero's journey type, uh, multiple act sequence character arc type pieces of advice that get given to people forget. I don't think you need to do half of that stuff. Sometimes it's good if you can do it, if you can have those things happening, if you can get that same sense. And it certainly doesn't hurt if there's some sense of things progressing. But at the same time, I don't think it's sufficient. And I think that's why you get such a lot of, of uh, shit um, and <laughs> cool shit that, that is cool, but also unsatisfying at the level of, of the text. It's because, you know, someone's been told very, very strongly, yeah, you've got some brilliant ideas, just fit them into this generic structure. Um, yeah, and that's, I, that's, I, I loved that this did what, like, what great fantasy to me does, which is that it doesn't, it doesn't do that. Like, that's the thing that's so mystifying about, about that bit of advice, because like Dune is built off of, you spend arguably the entire first book living in a paradigm that very quickly turns into my son has become huge. Like I have the biggest son and he is the oldest, most immortal son. And now I need (laughs) 1000 clones of my boyfriend to kill him with martial arts. (laughs) Um, Like you would not expect that for based on the first three, 400 pages of Dune. I mean, and it's, but you don't, you don't mind, right? Because the cool, it was Arrakis so the, and the spice worms and the the economics and the ins and outs of their vendetta system and all of those things. You don't matter that you weren't getting some kind of, you know, um, eventually your protagonist <laughs> pre- prevails. That's not what you're in it for. You're in it for, well, what cool and interesting stuff can he do with this material? And it's precisely Um, because of that formal component that when that big upheaval happens and you finally start getting this notion of a central plot, it does feel revelatory because you legitimately have been enraptured in this general experiential thing. Very true. That all of a sudden you get like, it's what makes that structure work. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, all of this advice is good. We just are, we run into this weird bit of advice where it's like, get rid of all of the investment portion where people will care about the overthrowing. And then likewise, <laughs> yeah. getting rid of the consequence at the end of the conclusion. So like but, the classic you know, thing it, of like, again, once the bad guy's dead, end the book. Don't talk about what happens to people after. Yeah. And it's like, and this idea that somehow <laughs> everything has to be clear. Like if there has to be a certain, like, there has to be a clarity of behind everything. You need to know why everything's happening and uh, when it's happening. And if you don't know why it's happening, when it's happening, you need to know why it happened by the end of the book. But I don't know about you, but I've, you know, I've spent a lot of time frequenting forums of one type or another that spend, uh, you know, kind of hours going over why uh, Leto did whatever it was that he did and the possibilities of the golden path and why it would be, (laughs) how would those actually work? Precisely because they aren't in the book, you have to then do that work yourself. 
maybe the greatest science fiction slash science fantasy novel of all time is the book of the new sun. Like yeah. it's, it's Gene Wolfe's thing, which is yeah. a thesis of you don't need to have answers. You yeah. need to feel like there are answers, but not actually, you don't need to have them. Which is the world, right? That's, that's yes. what you're, this is your life as a human being is the sense that there are things and that there must be some kind of, there must be some logic that you can't get it, <laughs> that you're not sure what it is. <laughs> and I think that's true. I think that's one of the that. things I'd like to do with Mordu is to, to make you feel that this is a real place. And the fact that you don't know why anything's going on is because you're like Nathan and you don't know what's going on. And you might, you're not going to know by the end of the book. You may well know if you pour through the glossary, if you can have the information, if you want <laughs> it, but you're not going to get it, you know, because Nathan doesn't get it. And, you know, I, I opened the book with a slightly snarky uh, kind of <laughs> um, preface, you know, saying the ideal reader to, to this book is someone who doesn't expect to know what's going on, um, mm. just like Nathan doesn't. Um, but if you want to know, turn to the glossary. And you can do that. Um, but I think it's the important thing for fantasy particularly, and just, I think not even for fantasy, just for my writing, for me as a writer, I can't make grand claims about other people and what they do. But for me, it's just to create something that feels real, right? Whatever that is. Uh, and, and just because if it's people who with schizophrenia, if it's people who have been erased from history, if it's people who live in fantasy worlds, the, I don't think you get to not, to get to obviate that kind of requirement that everything feels real. And the upside of that is once things feel real, you can play around to your heart's content with all of the rest of it because people will sit still for it. In the same way, I mean, I watch the kids and they sit down and they watch um, episodes of Friends, right? I said, that's how you pronounce my name. It's like Phoebe out of Friends. And that's not because uh, I'm massively into, into Friends. It's just because Friends is constantly <laughs> on in the house, constantly. And they're not, they're not watching it because they're, one of, they're fascinated by uh, the way Chandler eventually ends up, blah, blah, blah. What they like is the setup, <laughs> and they like seeing the setup played out over and over and over and over and over again with no resolution. They just want the setup. Here they are doing their thing. Here they did are you, doing their did, thing. Did you just say that your children watch Friends, the show? Yeah. yeah. Why? <laughs> Why? I don't know. All their friends watch it too. It's massive. That's insane to me. I lived yeah. through it and I'm glad that it's gone. Like... I know. You'd be surprised. They love it. They all love it. They all talk That's about terrible. Friends, this, friends, that. I know. It's weird, isn't it? But I'm this, not going to rain on that. thing amongst um, young, you know, like teenagers today where they have this like weird nostalgia for like when yeah, I grew 90s. up and uh, further back to like the 90s. Yeah. And well, they're all, all on TikTok looking at yeah. old videos from like graduations from like 2005 and commenting yeah. about how happy everyone was back then. And they well, can't you know, achieve that same happiness. There was always now. someone at university who was listening to the Rolling Stones or something. I mean, <laughs> and listening to Tony Hancock. I used to listen to Tony Hancock, uh, <laughs> uh, like Hancock's Half Hour the whole time. And that's not meant for me. I didn't get any mm. of the references. But they have, you know, hundreds of episodes of that I went, I listened to. And was that 19, some 1950s working class man mm -hmm. talking about his unhappy life? Uh, it should mean nothing to me. But I think there's something consistent. If you can get that, like a kind of consistent reel that feels mm. characterful and has its own aesthetic, uh, that is all you need, mm. <laughs> it seems to me. Yeah. And the idea that somehow plot is a substitute for that, I think is wrong. Because mm. often I pick up books 
hoping from other people's reactions to them that I'm going to be really kind of immersed in the in the real that has been created. And then it feels so generic to me that I can't be bothered with it. Um, China Mieville isn't one of those people, but I worried mm. that he was for a long time um, because I kept. I think it was that I picked up um, the city, the city, and read the first paragraph and didn't like it. And from that point on, I decided I, I'd I like that. his work. Okay. And then I did. And then I got, I mean, it took a while um, before I got into it. But then that, when you get into his stuff, there's a, such a strong sense of, of, of an aesthetic going on that mm. you don't care that most of the time it's just people wandering around doing, you know, kind of odd stuff or that a character, one of that cool characters was, oh, I can't remember the name and never remember, one with the giant butterfly in it, flying around, killing everybody. <laughs> and at the, the beginning, uh, there was a, a woman who was an artist who was an artist for some kind of uh, gangster and he wanted her to do a portrait of him but it turned out he was made up of all bits and pieces of other people and stuff but she didn't turn up again seemingly she just died and i was really disappointed because i really liked that character (laughs) but more to the point the city that it was all taking place in was so really well realized and so kind of uh uh, intrinsic to itself that you know i didn't mind that much and constantly now i've read all this stuff and uh, (laughs) i'm delighted by it yeah he yeah. is very, very good writer. And, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Now, I mean, one of you, he, one he of keeps himself it. very fit and well. I noticed as well. <laughs> oh, yeah. and he's an anarchist or something, isn't he? A uh, communist, I think. Just a, a straight-up communist. Yeah. Fair enough. No, you I... know. Yeah, I think oh, that's how he would define himself. I think he he okay. he's a, actually a very that's very clever path, isn't it? So, yeah. <laughs> a fellow traveller. He's a he's a very good essayist on like political matters. He's um, he writes a lot for oh god um, a magazine called Salvage. Anyone wants to check out his stuff? He, he's he's a very clever commenter and stuff. But yeah, um, so, Alex, where can people find uh, more you? And more importantly, when can they find it? Um, well, it's out in August. Um, I think August the sixth. Uh, although accounts differ, uh, and given the COVID situation, um, the printers might be up the spout, but we'll see. But it should be out at the beginning of August. Um, if you want to pre-order it, you can pre-order it from Galley Beggar Press. So if you just Google Galley Beggar Press, I think you're at the point now where if you just Google Phoebe, uh, P-H-E-B-Y, you'll, you'll probably get to it. Uh, but Galley Beggar Press, definitely order through them. The more you order through the actual publisher themselves, um, the more money they get. Uh, and they're really cool. They've got. They've just gone through a lot of trouble getting these little plastic packets that they're filling with uh, little snipped-up bits of licorice uh, in the shape of lungworms. And once you've read Mordieu, you'll know that lungworms play a, a part in uh, <laughs> in someone's death. Uh, and there's packets of sweet versions of lungworms with the, the lungworm label. And they always give you loads like of nice that. extras, and they personally wrap their material. Mm. Uh, yeah. And they'll send it to you in the post. You can subscribe to their stuff too, and for like a four book package, and you're basically guaranteed to get first editions of some of the future classics that people will be talking about, like mm-hmm. Duck's New Report and The Girl Is a Half Formed Thing, and obviously My Masterworks. Um, but yeah, <laughs> Galley Beggar Press, they're the people, mm-hmm. Galley, yeah. like a, a galley in a ship, Beggar, like a beggar, and Press, like pressing something. <laughs> galley Beggar Press, there you go. Or people can just check the link that I'm going to be putting in the show notes. Probably easier. Yeah. But so, yeah, um, folks at home, I know it's like August and it's a little while away. Uh, we're going to be like reminding you a lot. Oh, yeah. uh, really, we really do check out this book. I know we say that a lot because we kind of only feature books we like because uh, what would be the point of not? 
but well, um, we, we go through fits. We, oh yeah, we, actually this, we do. We're, yeah, you're right. We're, we're we're back in a books that we actually think are good and worth <laughs> your while fit because you know you run out of emotional energy reading utter bull. You can only read Taolin so much before you want to fucking off yourself. <laughs> and this is a oh, book yeah. that will make you not want to <laughs> off yourself. You will be glad yeah. that you are alive. <laughs> <laughs> And you'll stay alive for the for the sequels. Yeah. But if you if you can't wait until August, um, if you subscribe to Galley Beggar Press, um, they'll send you the proof by PDF. Um, so you get the proof copy with all my spelling errors and general mistakes in it. Uh, and they'll also send you a link to uh, me reading it out, um, which is one of their secret links. So awesome. I've been doing the audiobook as I mentioned earlier, uh, and I'm up to chapter thirty-five. So uh, if you can't wait until august then definitely subscribe to galley but it's not expensive then they're not ripping you off uh, and they'll send it out they send it out to the states they send it out all over the world or they do charge you a bit for postage yeah uh, and also not very many slow mistakes don't say yourself short there i was i've been noticing them when I, it's a good thing i did uh, people have told me this and I've, I've kind of said yeah i can't be bothered but reading it out <laughs> really bring to the oh, yeah, fore I, I any errors there are yeah. in there that's only kind of speed read, so I may have gotten some. But yeah, yeah um, folks at home, get this book. I cannot cannot stress this enough how good it is. Um, so yeah, we're going to close the show off with um, another piece of like sad British uh, culture. So the band Paradise Lost out of uh, <laughs> Halifax, West Yorkshire, not too far from where I am right now. Uh, they've been around a while. Um, we we covered like um, Catatonia, one of their contemporaries. A few was it a couple of weeks ago? Yeah. Uh, now they've come out with a new one called Obsidian. Um, yeah, it's it's. I haven't really had the chance to dive into this whole album yet, but from what I've heard, I've, so I'm kind of liking this. The the super short version is that they were part of what we were known as the Peaceville 3, which were Peaceville's a metal record label, which if you're listening to this podcast, you probably know that. But if you didn't, Peaceville, big record label. And mm. in the early 90s, they sort of helped spearhead Death Doom um, and three bands on, on their label really did that. There was Catatonia, who we featured. There's another band called Anathema. And then this band, Paradise Lost. Uh, there was also My Dying Bride, who wasn't on uh, Peaceville and is probably actually a bigger name for Death Doom now. Um, and we're even really big then, but whatever. That's It's sort of like how the big four of thrash, you actually list like six major thrash bands when you're talking about whatever. Uh, metal's bad with names. Um, but uh, yeah, Paradise Lost is one of the bands that actually stayed the heaviest the longest. Mm. Um, except every single one of the Peaceville three turned into a goth rock band by the late nineties, literally all three of them. Um, but where Catatonia resolved themselves into like somewhere between goth rock, uh, like radio rock and then progressive rock, like some mixture of those and anathema just went straight into very Stephen Wilson, porcupine tree esque, uh, progressive rock and post rock, um, paradise lost started like pulling themselves back the vocalist of paradise lost is the same guy who's the current vocalist of bloodbath the uh the death metal supergroup, um replacing michael ackerfeld and peter topgren in that role and ever since he rejoined them they got super heavy again like since like the early 2010s i think is when that happened like they've just been like crazy fucking heavy 
And uh, this record, Obsidian, is kind of weird in that it's their first one of this new era that isn't necessarily super heavy. Like, it covers, there are straight goth rock songs on it. We're only clean singing just gothic rock. Then there are just super gross Death Doom tracks. And then, like, every little shade in between. It's really fucking good. Like, hmm. I guarantee you're going to see it on a lot of year-end lists. Like, it's it's a really fucking good album. Okay, so so which track are we playing off it, then? Um, I recommend one of the Death Doom ones, because, uh, you know, of course I do. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I'm trying to find the name of the track uh because i do that thing where i will put on a record and then not look at the songs as it's playing uh because i am a brain genius um i think the devil embraced is one of the super gross ones track four yeah Um, yeah and if it's not then we're just going to play a cool gothic rock song so yeah win-win so yeah so his devil embraced by paradise lost uh, come back next week because we're gonna do. I, I may do this. I'm, I'm negotiating for it at the moment. So Charlie Kaufman, as in the guy who did adaptation, being John Malkovich, oh, load of that good stuff. Great, great films. A brilliant screenwriter. He's come out with a new book. It may be complete genius. It's been compared to, to Pynchon, and you know he's got the talent to pull that kind of thing off but it may be an awful midlife crisis where he's just whining about millennials and snowflakes. It's, it's going to be one of those things. We don't know which one yet. And so, either way, we're in for the ride. Buckle up. Yeah, just strap in because we're going to <laughs> one of those two places. One's going to be better than the other. But they'll probably both be entertaining for you. So, um, yeah, come back next week for some Charlie Kaufman. <coughs> and, you know... Uh, Check out our Patreon. We got. Um, we're going to be talking about a new, well, a new, a Alan, Alan, one of Alan Moore's kind of over underlooked, overlooked uh, books, Promethea. Yeah, people know him from like From Hell, obviously Watchmen, things like that. But Promethea's never got the love it's deserved, and it's probably the closest thing he's got to like a, a manifesto. So yeah. we're going to be those, talking about that one. Those deep in the cut this is their Alan Moore that they go to. So yeah. like that's that's sort of the pitch for it. And the, the real that heads. should be meaningful given, you know, it's the man who did the revolutionary run on Swamp Thing, Watchmen from Hell, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's So yeah. you will this decide if it lives up to that claim. <laughs> Damn right, yeah. But um, yep, uh, go by Moju, and here's mm-hmm. Paradise Lost. <laughs>